Hi there, welcome and thanks for making time to listen to this. In the upcoming conversation, myself, Dave and Dan talk to Peter Danko and we talk about his Toastmaster Club membership as well as his fascination with the Rubik's Cube. It begins with Peter briefly introducing himself, then we delve into what Toastmaster is, why one should join a club and its benefits. In the second part of the show, Peter explains what a Rubik's Cube is and takes us through his journey so far in his quest to solve the puzzle faster and faster. In the end, I came out of this one with a couple of lessons. Myself and Dan already have two items added to our 2021 to-do list as a result. We are positive you would find this as informative as we did. It may even be inspiring. Enjoy. But before that, please take a second to subscribe or favorite this podcast wherever you are listening to us. Okay, so um, guys, you're all welcome to today's discussion. And uh, as promised, today we have Peter Dankwa with us and we are going to discuss uh, a number of interesting topics or things that he's interested in. So uh, before we get into those topics, I'll let Peter introduce himself. So Peter, what do you do or who are you? Great question. I'm Peter Dankwa. I I am a human first of all and I'm a lover of life. I, I love to live once. I studied aerospace engineering in KNUST, but I'm not practicing that at the moment. I work with Ghana Link Network Services and I love trying new things, solving puzzles, doing things that basically stretches my brain capacity. So that's that's it about me. Wow. Uh, you started by saying you're a human, which is great because this podcast is actually a podcast <laughs> by humans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know that sounds funny, but that's what we call ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So you're welcome. You're uh, amongst your fellow humans or species. And uh, I had aerospace engineering. Aerospace engineering basically it's the study of interaction of objects with fluids. So it has to do with motion of objects. So for instance, with the oil sector, you have a little bit of aerodynamics in there. Most people usually think of aerospace as okay, it's about aircrafts, but it, it's a very broad, um, it's a very broad subject where you can have so many divisions in there. So basically, anything that has to do with interaction with air or fluids, that would be gas and liquids. It's aerospace oh, engineering. Wow. That's interesting because when I heard aerospace engineering, all I was thinking about was planes, space shuttles, and Mars and NASA, Elon yeah, Musk. That, yeah. the, the space is the space is an, an aspect yeah. of yeah. it. Yeah. 
So the Toastmaster, what is it? What's it about? And uh, okay, yeah, what is Toastmaster first? What most people think of when they hear Toastmasters is, oh, you guys, you 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 have conferences and you you have tea and you eat and you toast bread or what? But to, to, <laughs> Toastmasters is an international organization, a non-profit, and the 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 founder was Ralph Smedley. So the idea was to assist people in developing their communication and leadership skills. These two are the main foundations of Toastmasters. So it's it's basically an organization where you come into to develop your communication and leadership skills. And it's a, it's, it's a hands-on learning. It's not uh, an, an organization where probably you take an online course and you write an exam and you're done no this is a day-to-day development of your communication and leadership skills so a typical toastmasters meeting is let's think of it like um one of these uh network marketing meetings where you you go in there and you hear a presentation about the product and all that but this time around everybody is involved sharing their experience based on what they've learned so toastmasters international comes out with a manual or let me put it a project that you undertake now a number of projects are compressed into what is called a pathway p-a-t-h-w-a-y now, a pathway consists of a number of projects that reflect a, part- a particular competence. So if your aim of joining Toastmasters was to be a very good MC, there is actually a pathway that has projects that mirror what you want. If you want to be someone who gives appropriate humor during your speeches, there's a path called engaging humor. If your aim of joining Toastmasters was to be a very dynamic leader. There's a pathway called dynamic leadership. So basically all these pathways have projects listed in there where you are given a course material to study and once you are done it gives you a task to deliver the project which usually comes in the form of speeches. So I have completed the dynamic leadership path. I'm currently on visionary communication. And every part you take have has five levels, and in these five levels, you have about two or more projects in that level that you have to complete. the The first speech you ever give in Toastmasters is called the icebreaker, and the icebreaker is you presenting yourself to your new club, because if you joined as a new member, your club wants to know about you, so you are given the platform to talk about yourself. And that is where the journey starts from. So Toastmasters looks at things like body language. It looks at things like your pacing, the structure of your speech. And all these things come uh, develop over time. So the, the, the feedback you are going to receive is from the community themselves. So it's not as if there are a group of experts sitting somewhere who are sharpening your skills and saying, no, do it this way, do it this way, do it that way. 
I today, for instance, was an evaluator in one of our meetings. I had to evaluate uh, another member who was undergoing a particular project. So in me evaluating, I'm developing a skill of listening and giving good feedback or honest feedback. So by playing roles in Toastmasters, you develop different kinds of skills. So a typical Toastmasters meeting has the Toastmaster of the day, who in everyday language is called the MC, the one who chairs the meeting. So we have the Toastmaster of the day, then there's the general evaluator. The general evaluator is like the chairperson, the person who coordinates the meeting, makes sure that everything is intact. And under the general evaluator, there are a number of people who support him. For instance, we have the grammarian, we have the timer, and we have the accounter. The grammarian because you are delivering a speech and we expect good use of grammar. So there's someone dedicated for that or who volunteers to play that role for that day and point out the good use of grammar during the, the whole meeting. So it's not necessarily only for uh, prepared speakers who are coming up to deliver projects. If the, to the Toastmaster of the day does the MC is maybe commenting about something and uses um, in incorrect grammar, the grammarian, when giving the report, presents on that. Then there's a timer, and that's because Toastmasters review good speakers as people who value the time of their audience. Then we have the accounter. The accounter basically is the 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 member who has been assigned to take note of crutch words. When we are speaking in everyday language, right, you notice that when people are trying to gather their thoughts, they end up using filler words like um, or they end up repeating words so that they can fill up that space. Assuming I was speaking to you and I, start, I started with um, um, mm, mm -hmm. It wouldn't make the speech attractive. It will actually take away from the speech. So there's an accounter who is there to monitor and point out to you that, okay, this is your scratch words. This is how you use scratch words. So that you'll be conscious of how to avoid them in your subsequent speeches. So basically, it's a, it's a, it's a very um, great learning platform that if you apply yourself to, it actually boosts your confidence. In standing in front of crowds and uh, delivering your message that you you want to give if you want to join Toastmasters you are at liberty to choose the club that fits your schedule and probably the the, the, demogra the demography of the the members you have some clubs which are usually full of young people you have other clubs which are full of corporate people you have clubs who are full of old people or a of any of these so that's basically what Toastmasters is about. Wow, that's that was a very detailed answer and uh, yeah. answered most of the questions I, I have. But uh, so if I got you right, the pathway, which is made up of five levels, is the the, the, the yeah. kind of like yes. the program that yeah. everybody that wants to visit or join goes through from beginning to maybe expert level or something so if you approach it with the aim of actually improving you are going to improve the reason why i say that is 
you can only improve when you receive feedback on how you did on your speeches if you don't make the conscious efforts to take that particular feedback and work on it you might not improve so you might go through and still be the same it, it, it happens it's just like school it's those who actually take the work seriously that come out with the the best results so the fact that we are in does not mean that you would eventually become a good speaker but the probability is very high because it's a very engaging environment you see that everybody is looking to to better themselves you meet people who are you think oh these guys are the best speakers but they still go through the 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 projects even though they've attained a level where you feel like okay it's enough you're a good speaker you've attained the level of usually we call them their distinguished toastmaster which means that you've gone through a number of projects you've gone through a, a number of parts you've you've accomplished a number of leadership roles in the toastmasters community and basically you you have command over speech delivery even those dtms still take projects and and better themselves so it's it's about what you are looking for some people join toastmasters because okay it's a good place to network it's a good place to socialize so depending on the reason you have for joining toastmasters that that is what toastmasters will make you but the aim of a toastmasters club internationally is to provide a mutually positive and supportive learning environment in which every member has the ability to develop their communication and leadership skills which in turn fosters personal self-confidence and growth okay so um yeah that, that was a, a detailed explanation of everything and as i was saying it sounds like something that was made for me and i should join yeah so i'll have to look for the nearest club but where i am is so far away yeah. i might have to wait till i move back to accra to do that but i, I thought he said they are like they have don't you have like online so that the person can join in virtually? Because I wish I could join. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Mika sure, sure. I'll, I'll share. I'll share some of the, the the links. Usually, most clubs use Zoom, but my club we use uh, Microsoft Teams. So I'll, I'll definitely send you reminders and the the, the flyers when whenever the meeting sure, is approaching. Sure. Because you said, what's the name of the thing that they count? Did you say an R counter or something? Yeah, so it's called filler words yeah. or crutch Cause words. Because I use power, me use superpower. <laughs> I don't think you use them more than I do. I, yeah, I think mine is, I don't know, but. <laughs> 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 yeah, if people do a drinking game with that, I'm sure they'll get super drunk. Mine is repeating repeating myself so, so several times. A, a person who, whose speech usually does not contain filler words is a president. And that's how come many people love to hear him talk. Or when he talks, you feel like he really knows what he's talking about because he, he uses the, the dynamics of in a good speech which is if you are lost for words just take a deep breath pause for as long as you can even though it might seem like an eternity gather your thoughts and say what you want to say rather than you say um um and so and then and then so the president is one one person that i've noticed that he hardly used crutch words 
and I was asking if there's any difference between women and men when it comes to public speaking or being a better speaker in general. Not at all. Public speaking is, 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 is an art. You, you, you learn it, basically. It's just like any of the basic life skills. For, for instance, swimming. You have people who are good at swimming and that is because maybe they are born closer to a water body. So they have the access to, to, to practice it more. So for speaking to is the same thing. If, if you practice it, you become good at it. Okay, so uh, the the other thing that we have on our plates today is the Rubik's Cube. And earlier, I wasn't sure whether to classify it as a toy or something else. But since we have Peter over here, I think he'll do that for us. Sure. You're not wrong in saying it's a toy. Because it's been considered as a toy. Internationally, it's considered as a toy. And... the, the interesting thing about it is that it, it was developed by a professor at a university who lectured on architecture and 3D designing. And he, he wanted to find a way of illustrating um, patterns and, and spatial objects to his students. So he was thinking of what what object or what teaching aid can I use to illustrate all these sort of models. And he ended up coming up with a Rubik's Cube. And the name Rubik's Cube actually comes from his last name. That's his surname. He was a Hungarian professor by the name Erno Rubik. Erno Rubik. So R-U-B-I-K. That's how come the, it's called the Rubik's Cube. But in, in the early stages, it used to be known as the Magic Cube because it, it was fascinating to most people and how it, it moved, the colors and everything. So it's also known as the Magic Cube. Now, there, there are so many interesting things about the Rubik's Cube. What most people usually see as a Rubik's Cube is just one version of the cube. So the, the popular one is the three by three, where you have uh, three different um, cubies. The cubies are the, the, the very small components. If you dissemble a cube, right, the, small, the smallest piece that you hold is referred to as a cubie. But basically the idea is to find a way to solve all the colors and make it uniform. And in solving it, there are different methods that are being used. The the most popular of them is called the CFOP. So the CFOP method basically uses a number of algorithms in solving a pattern that you recognize. Now, you think of a solved Rubik's Cube. You have a completely solved Rubik's Cube. Let's say it's fresh from the factory. Now... If you make just two scrambles, as in you turn one layer and you turn the other layer, right? You copy the that particular move you just did down and just reverse it. Once you re- you reverse it, it solves the cube back to its its original position. So imagine doing this continuously. You make seventeen turns. 
so you turn the top you turn the bottom you turn the right side you turn you do that completely 17 moves then now you put the cube down look at what you've written down and reverse the whole process you are going to get back to the original state so there are people who have actually gone through this whole process they've come up with different permutations and found the algorithms to solve that so in solving the the, the ruby's cube the I, I i wish maybe it was on video or it was live so that you could appreciate it more but if you take a rubik's cube it is connected at the centers which means that if you should dismantle a rubik's cube you find a perpendicular plane that is a, a three axis plane and these centers are connected to each other which means that all the other parts of the cube move around the center so if you take a yellow face a completely soft yellow face it is directly opposite a white face if you take a red face it is always opposite an orange face if you take a blue face it is always opposite a green face so this means that you can't have a situation where blue and red are opposite it will never happen on the ruby scale that is because if you know the mechanism and the orientation of the colors it is easy to solve it and that is what most people miss because some people will solve the first layer and when they are trying to solve the second layer they end up destroying the first layer and they go like okay i can't solve this thing again and that is because they are not aware of certain algorithms that can preserve what they have already solved and that is what i was referring to that the 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 formula or the the move order that most mathematicians have developed over years centuries to to enable you solve the rubik's cube once you use those methods you'll be able to solve it so the not 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 to not to not to cut you sure. or to cut you i find this interesting because it's similar to almost everything in life mm-hmm. sometimes something looks uh, daunting or impossible but then and you might feel you are not up to the task or you are not capable of actually uh, getting that thing done or achieving a certain goal but all that you need is just some information mm-hmm. and in this case it's about the how the whole like the the whole cube is arranged mechanically or the 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 how the information you give about the colors being opposite certain colors and how some colors cannot be opposite some colors so basically not having that information will make it almost impossible for some people to be able to solve the puzzle if i can call it that is that the case uh you're you're not far from it uh in the sense that I also thought, just like everybody, when growing up, that okay, this object or this toy cannot be solved. Because when, when you start solving it, and you get to a point where you realize, okay, I'm out of options, I don't know what to do from this point. You are presented with two options. Either you choose to give up, or you choose to go the extra step and say, let me find out if this thing is solvable. And that that is the difference between those who are able to solve it now and those who are not able to solve it. So when I realized that, is there a way to solve this thing? 
I, I, I began to think of where do I get the information from? And we live in a, in, in, a, in a very smart age now. I just Googled it. I found a manual. I downloaded it and it explained how to basically move it. And now in, in solving it, it required my, my time. It required that um, me getting out of that comfort zone where I'm going to dedicate time to learn something that is new and probably challenging. So if, if you are able to have that sort of men- mentality that new things require new attitude, it, it requires a new outlook, then you'll be able to solve a, a whole number of issues that's in, in life. And it's very evident because the Rubik's Cube is more of a, a special and formulaic um, object. And therefore, it, it makes me very quick in analyzing issues. So if you present a problem to me, the way I'll break it down might be different from how the next person may solve it. It's just like mathematics. Someone may have a different method of solving it. But the important thing here is how efficient is it? Because the aim of uh, the Rubik's Cube, if you take it professionally, is a concept known as speed cubing where you try to solve the Rubik's Cube in the shortest possible of time. Now, the, the time I'm, I'm able to hit now is about 15 seconds in solving it. Now, the... the, mm. the, the, the 15? Masters, Did you say one, five seconds? No matter how... No matter how jammed or like scattered yeah. it is, 15 seconds. Yeah. Did you say wow. 15 as in one, five? Come again. Or five, zero? Do you mean five zero or one five? I mean one five, fifteen seconds. Five. My, my fastest time has been thirteen seconds. Now, I, I when I started solving it afresh, the for the first time, it took me about five minutes to solve it from start to end. That is, if I time myself, the time that I took to sit down, look, study it, move it this way, it took about five minutes. Then I started learning new ways because there were people who were more experienced in it. They explained certain weaknesses and certain things you could do to improve your your solving time. So once I kept practicing that and discarding the old knowledge that I had gathered, the beginner's method, I be, I basically began to improve. And it was very funny uh, because I went for a competition here in Ghana at uh, Aryan School. It's at the Boundary Road. If you know the, is it? Uh, yes, yes, around that side. It, it, it was organized by an Indian uh, who is a friend. And it was full of kids, Asians, foreigners. And I, I basically didn't see Ghanaians over there. And out of 60 participants, I was 30th at the end of the competition and kids beat me to the game and in my mind i was like oh i thought i was the only person in ghana who could solve a ruby's cube so getting that exposure and knowing that hey there are people who can actually do better there are different methods that are being used it forced me to up my game and decide that okay i need to know those methods so the the longer short of it is that once you are you are able to have that mentality of addressing issues and knowing that they are solvable. That, that is the, the key word there. Because most people are scared to tackle problems. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take up 
issues as they come on because it's fun it's, it's like an adventure it it, it, it it makes my adrenaline pump the more so yeah wow wow okay so uh in addition to joining the toastmasters club mm-hmm. i am going to purchase a rubik's cube <laughs> sure. as part of the things i need to do okay i think there's an added benefit it makes you look smart oh, or smarter oh yeah yeah <laughs> i receive those comments a lot yeah. but in my mind i'm like well there are people who are actually smarter than me because if you are looking at the fact that uh yeah are, are using how i'm able to solve it in the shortest possible time as the the parameter then there are there are people who are far better than me and the funny thing is because there is there's a technique to it there are actually different categories in a competition we have a a, a segment where you solve the cube blindfolded yeah a blind a blindfold is placed over your eyes and you solve the cube blindfolded basically and that so you take a yes. look at the cube right before exactly. the blindfolding and that one okay. also comes with its own okay. technique so you, take, so you might think okay yeah yeah it's just a normal way of Damn, that's a very interesting question because if you would not yeah, have, so you have to visualize, visualize yeah, the cube it, before it comes with a different technique in the sense that you now have to change the way you solve the cube because if you are using the fundamental way of okay the move order the pattern that you see has an algorithm to it now this time around your eyes are closed which means that if your eyes are closed you are not seeing the pattern to know which algorithm to use mm-hmm. so the moment you start inspecting your cube you have to develop other means of memorizing it and that is what makes the blindfold very crazy because it, it means that we are actually using all parts of your brain you are using the spatial part you are using the part for retention of memory you are using your your auditory and uh, visual um, capacities to assist you solve the cue there, there's a, a portion we uh, a segment of the the competition we use one hand in solving so traditionally you see people using their two hands there's a category in the, in the tournament where you use just one hand in solving the cube. There's another category where you use your feet in solving the cube. So it's 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 a beautiful toy, as people call it. And I take it everywhere, everywhere. And I mean everywhere. If it's a funeral that I'm going, I take it there. If it's a wedding that I'm going, I take it there. Because it's a it's a great it's a great stress uh, relief. Really, sometimes I work when. The, the pressure is mounting very much. I just pick it and move it around and I, um, I feel a bit okay. Okay, so um, you basically went through it and left out no stone unturned. I was going to ask what the benefits are, but you've mentioned all that. You use all aspects of your brain or your mind. Mm-hmm. And... Okay, well, uh, it's good the, the, as a stress just, reliever. I'll, I'll, I'll line the benefits briefly again, so it will help you. So for me, basically, what I've seen it done for me is that it has helped me how to learn and unlearn. As I was saying, when I started, I was hitting the five-minute mark. Then I dropped to three minutes. Then I dropped to two minutes. And the difference between all these uh, time drops is that I learned something new and I had to throw the old information away. 
and the reason why this is important is that for the Rubik's Cube you need practice you need repetition for whatever you've learned to be ingrained in you become a second part of you so to unlearn it is very difficult and it's very painful I have a friend who I usually go to competitions with and when we went for the competition and the the Asian kids beat up to it he, he, he basically gave up because he knows that in order for him to move on to the next stage he needs to learn something new and already he's even struggling with what he already knows how to perfect it so now coming to add something new was another case and secondly in terms of pattern recognition sometimes you you plan the moves five or six moves ahead so once you are looking at a particular portion of the queue and you know that okay i'm going to use this algorithm to solve it that algorithm we are going to use to solve it would orient all the other parts in a different way always the same time so what it means is that we are picking two blocks of information one algorithm leads to another thing and you basically have to predict what that thing will be so that once you are done executing the algorithm for the pattern that you have in front of you you jump right straight into it and that's how come the fastest time in the world is about 3.47 seconds in solving the cube because you pick the cube you know that okay i've seen this pattern i apply this algorithm to it and this might move to this position this might move to this position so I have to use this algorithm at that point and it also helps in your dexterity in terms of your fingers because how I hold a cube is different from how a, a beginner or an amateur will hold a cube this they see me move the cube and they go like what is it doing with his hands it's like you're making about 10-15 moves in a second and you have to learn this over time so the benefits are simply enormous it's it's, it's crazy and because there are different kinds of cubes, once you are done learning the basics of one, you progress to the other and you see a new puzzle, you see a new object or toy that you have to apply a new attitude to, even though the, the, the fundamentals are the same. So that is what it does and it also enhances your memory. So those are the, the, the basic things about the cube. Oh, this this is very very interesting and so uh, wh who would have thought something that simple would involve so much mm -hmm. yeah i think my my main take from this is that uh, mentality as you said that attitude mm -hmm. uh not giving up and being prepared to learn what it takes to be better at something and i think that's uh, a very important thing to have yeah i think that, that that's that's one Not, thing I, yeah. I i i see a lot of people lack and i don't know if it's because of how our society is structured you know we are basically spoon fed with everything so many people don't like to start things on their own i say this because people see me solve the cube and go like wow how, how did you do it this thing is so difficult to, to solve it's the same question or comments they make when they see me play my recorder which you know as flute when i'm playing my instruments people say how did you do it and it's basically the same principle of solving the cube that okay there has to be a way of playing this instrument how how is it done 
you sit down, you first need to make sure you have the instrument and you learn it. So you can never learn a, a piano by not having a piano. If you don't own a piano, it's difficult for you to learn a piano. If you don't own a guitar, the likelihood of you being a very good guitarist is very low. If you don't own a Rubik's Cube, you might not be able to solve a Rubik's Cube because you need it. So guess what? At the time that I, I started learning the Cube, I didn't own a Rubik's Cube. I was using a mobile app. You know on Play Store, you now have uh, very enhanced uh, rea realities over there. So. I downloaded the Rubik's Cube app on my phone and I was learning how to solve it on my phone. So what it meant was that my orientation was different because now I'm solving the cube on the phone, which means that even though I'm seeing the cube all right, the way I'm moving the cube on the phone is different from how I'll be solving it if I'm holding the actual cube. So there was another transition from the phone to the cube itself. And, and, and that is where the, the issue is, is about deciding to have time for it and making sure that, that that time is quality. So when I started with my my flute, that's the recorder, I went to the guy who I knew could play the recorder so well and I said, teach me how to play the flute. And he told me something that at that time did not make sense to me. I was like, hey, dude, I want to learn this thing, teach me. And he, all he said was, you just play, you get the musical ear. And in my mind, I was like, what the hell? I want you to teach me how to play this thing. You're telling me, just play, you get the musical ear. So what I used to do was, I had to start from first principles. I had to place every single note to know how it sounded and try and pick a song and see if I could identify the notes. So when I started, I sounded something like, hold on for me. Let me get my recorder. When I started playing the, the flute, I started something like... But now, if I'm going to play the same thing, because over time I've developed that musical ear through trial and error. I tried this note, it didn't work. I know that this note sounds this way. Now I know how to flow once I pick up the, the flute. So now, when I'm playing and I, I sound like this, People hear me play like they're like wow you play so well you play so good but all those times that i was struggling through the learning phase to 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 get the notes right always hitting myself which note am i going to find to match this sound they basically were not there so it, it's just something that I've, I've just noticed it's like a gem to me it was the same thing when i was branching into finance it was a new environment for me I had no idea, I didn't do finance in school, but once I started learning finance, the opportunities that opened were crazy, like, because there were so many things that I, I learned that I didn't know, and that has added to my, my, my personal life, even though I'm no longer doing finance anymore, but at least I can understand certain spheres of finance. Yeah, so, um, so you just took us through the benefits and... I, I've been wild. I don't know about others, but it looks so simple, but so complicated and evolving so much. Yeah, yeah. Because I can see how it will be important to have like a mind that is able to look at things from 
different directions. Mm-hmm. Because when you were talking, you spoke about how, let's say, let's say if you move forward 17 steps, mm-hmm. let's say you have one side sorted, mm-hmm. and then you want to work on the other side. You have to keep in mind that you have to do the 17 times backwards again. Okay, so that that uh, statement I made was just an, an, an analogy. Yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about analogy, not okay. like actually doing it. Okay, okay, okay. And I'm saying that, so it means that you hold that that particular knowledge in one part of your brain as you are doing something else. And it gets to a point that you have to be holding about five different instances in your brain whilst doing something. And I think it's very important to hold something like that. Even when you are doing analysis of a situation, let's say you have a problem, the ability to do that, like the ability that you've trained your brain to be able to do something like that, it really helps. Because usually that's how you're able to like solve such problems when they come up. Especially in life, let's say if you're a leader or even just your family or in your workplace, if you're able to look at an issue from multiple angles, like you hold this constant, then you adjust this. I think that's what those power BI and things do. So <laughs> if you as a human being, you're able to do it on your own. I think it's, it's a very good skill that I hope to learn. Yeah. But, 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 but don't, see, don't see everything as okay as formulas, algorithms and so on. It's, it's an issue of understanding the mechanism. So if you actually watch the tutorials from the, the, the experts, they will tell you that there's no need to memorize a formula. Just understand how it is moving and the, the formula will now make sense to you. So, so that's how I see there are, there are some formulas that I know how to move it, but I don't know how to transcribe it for you. So for instance, if you ask me what's the formula for this, I will demonstrate it to you that okay because of this position and this position the best method is to move this here in order to get here but if you, you ask me write the formula down for me it would I'll not be able to show you that formula because I need to 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 visualize what I'm yeah. actually doing so that's how I learned it by understanding yeah. it yeah. yeah that's it's, it's good that's great it's a very very good skill to have if I ever have kids, I'll let them learn early. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's that's, that's 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 a lot we've we've taken in today. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, David. David is coming in. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm I'm just going to ask. Uh, so, uh, looking at the advantages, uh, do you think it would be prudent for Ghana to introduce that into our curriculum? Hmm. This is very interesting but i think it depends on where our mindset gets to the reason i'm saying this is that remember i mentioned there was a, a competition where i was with some asian kids and all Indian that kids. yes so some of the volunteers for that particular competition were Ghanaians, as in those assisting with the setup and all that there were a team of Ghanaians that were involved in setting it up but they didn't partake in the competition now i think a bystander asked a spectator asked one of those volunteers that so why are you not taking part in the competition and he said something in fear so you see the the, the mentality they are seeing it as okay they are, they are seeing this as or something that is just a waste of time because they see it as a toy. And in fact, if I approach most people, what do you tell you? Oh, in Kola, Nyama Winaokitan. 
But the funny thing is that if I should give it to them, they'll not be able to solve it. <laughs> oh, that one but <laughs> but they, 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 they end up saying that, oh, this thing is for kids. Ah, why are you moving around with this thing? So if, if it's going to be introduced in the, in the, in the school setting, I think maybe it, it depends on some of us and how we we explain it because now you are seeing that okay this could actually be beneficial but i think it is because the exposure is not there yet for people to see they don't have that confidence that this thing can actually go on that's uh to add to that um i'll say it's something that would be nice if uh, all kids were to be taught how to go about it but maybe we should um, classify it under extracurricular activities because we need to be careful when we keep saying let's add it to the curriculum let's add it to the curriculum when everything comes up otherwise we might end up spending 50 or 40 years in basic school <laughs> so yes I get you yeah so we should just uh, keep it under extracurricular activities and then those who are interested should go into it but it's definitely a good thing to know how to uh, work with yeah so so um this 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 has been so so much fun and at the same time uh, enlight- enlightening is that the right word? I always have a problem with words. Okay, so it was. It's. It's. I've learned a lot, and it's. It's been great having Peter on. Yeah. So Peter, thanks. Thanks a lot for for being on, and and uh, guys, thank you all as well, and see you again soon. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the end of another episode. That was a long one. We hope it was worth your time. Either way, thanks for your time and uh, we hope to have you here for the next one. Of course, don't forget to subscribe.